Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks, the podcast of Leif Hetland and Global Mission Awareness. Well, hello everyone. Uh, I am Leif Hetland and welcome to Kingdom Family Talk. And I have this great honor of having with me a very, very special friend. I would call it even more than a guest because uh, we are part of the same family. And uh, uh, can you tell me, and his name is, by the way, Joshua Finley. And I know there are some of you that maybe have still not yet heard of him. I would just share a couple of things. One of the times when I was visiting him in Lima, New York, and just was watching this young leader in a small little town of a little over 3,000 people uh, actually leading a church which is also lead church of a denomination. So here you're seeing a church of about a thousand people in a little community of, of 3,000. But I was just even thinking when the next generation of like the Bill Johnsons are just realizing that somebody that is full of love, power and wisdom and is already moving into convergence of it. So that had a big impact on my life, just watching you the way that you honored, the way you were loving and how you were leading and just the very way that you were able to bring the best out of some of the people that were around you. And and now I kind of followed you, stayed in touch with you and watched this journey. So I can't wait to jump into it. And I wanted you just to share, because when did we first meet? So we met in 2009, actually, through uh, Tarek, a beautiful friend of mine from high school, um, you know, born in Pakistan, came to the U.S., came to know Christ his sophomore year of high school. And we've been friends for, you know, 25 years. And when he met you, in fact, when I read about you in Randy Clark's book, he had a chapter about you and Heidi and what you were doing. I called Tarek and I said, you have to meet Leif Hetland, what he's doing in Pakistan in your home country is unprecedented. Um, and so Tarek found you at a little conference in Pennsylvania and you <laughs> cleared your schedule to meet with him in his hotel room. And then you said, I need to meet some of your inner circle friends. I need to know who you are connected with Tarek. And so I got on a plane and flew down to Virginia to meet you because you were doing something with uh, one of the prayer furnaces down there. Yeah. And uh, we got to hang out, I think in an IHOP parking lot <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's hard for me to describe, Leif, the impact. Um, I've been in your conferences, we've hosted you, but just being around you showed me sonship, showed me um, an upgrade in love that displaces fear in a way that was so supernatural. And it wasn't the type of thing where you get excited for a conference and then three, four weeks later, it, I mean, I met you in 2009. And now we're 11 years later. My life has completely changed. Um, and I don't say that. I can't say that um, in every different way with other uh, ways. But just the, the upgrade in Revelation, the sonship became the foundation. And um, I, it's hard for me to put into words how much you have um, changed us just by loving us. And so thank you. Thank you for that. I'm just so excited about uh, just what God is doing in this season. I know there's a lot of people that see what the enemy is doing. 
but they are not able to see what God is seeing. And many, many times we can see even the, the story that is behind the story of people that God is raising up for such a time as this. So I wanted you just to kind of uh, share a little bit of your story, your journey, how you met Jesus, about Anna, your family, and then even because we're going to get to know some of your special sauce, and I want to make that available to this big family table out there, and then I want them to share that with other people so they can taste and see how good Papa God is. <laughs> sure. So so my parents both were raised in Catholic churches, Catholic families, uh, got saved in the Jesus movement. And so I was raised one of six kids, three boys, three girls. I'm the youngest boy, um, number five out of six, and by two first-generation Christians. And, um, you know, I said the sinner's prayer probably as a four-year-old, always believed in God, went to church, loved God. Um, but my life was dramatically changed in, um, in probably 1995 in Toronto. My family went to Toronto in the outpouring. We took several trips up there. And as a middle schooler, I was in eighth grade. And I remember it was the first time in my life I ever raised my hands in worship. And I remember that night there were 46 different nations. I was worshiping next to people from Malaysia and Indonesia. And we were in the, um, the desert strike, the, the war with Iraq, and there were Iraqi believers there. And it was just, I closed my eyes and I thought, I think this is a little bit of what heaven will be like because there was so many tribes and tongues and nations. And the Lord really grabbed a hold of my heart with a love for the presence of God at that time in eighth grade. And then... Uh, of course, I met Eric Peoples, who you know very, very well. Um, he took me all around the world on missions trips. And I was still trying to figure out if God really had what was best for me. I had one foot in the world, one foot in the church. There are many times where Eric wanted to throw me out of the youth group and kill me. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, <laughs> but I would say 18, I had a defining moment. I um, was supposed to go to Bible college and I postponed it. I was going to do a gap year. And I remember everyone thought I was running from the call of God, but I was actually trying to seek him and not just go in, in the path that people thought I should take. I really wanted my heart to be fully engaged in it. And um, I was this driving. Was not, this was not one of those Jonah examples. I'm reading the book of Jonah right now. No, no. I, I knew at that point I couldn't outrun God. I had done a few jogs away from him, but he tracked me down quickly. But I was driving through a place near Smith College in, um, in Massachusetts. And I didn't know the history of that area. I didn't know the history of the college. But all of a sudden, I was overcome by the presence of God and just started weeping in this truck that I was driving. I was driving a delivery truck for a car dealership, delivering car parts all over New England. And I was driving through this area. I just felt the presence of God so strong that I pulled the truck over. I couldn't even drive. And I just told the Lord, I said, I give you my life completely. I'm not going to try to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I surrender myself completely. And later when I was talking to uh, Dick Dreyer, who you know very well as an intercessor and a man who lived in the Middle East, he said, Josh, I believe you were grabbed by the prayers of the five young adults who prayed that started the Haystack Revival because the territory I was driving through was the very same campus and the very same farmland that in 1806 on that August uh, afternoon, those five young adult men prayed for God to move. And as they were in the open field, it began to rain. So they went into a barn and you know the story. That's why it's called the Haystack Revival, but it started the modern missions movement. And so 5,000 missionaries went to 35 countries. And 
I, and he said to me this, he said, I really believe that you, God grabbed you in that moment as you were driving through that territory as an answer, a partial answer to their prayers for God to raise up a generation of revivalists and missionaries that would go to the nations. And I really do believe I, God grabbed me. He just sovereignly by his goodness said, there is nothing you can pursue that compares with what I have for you. And in that moment, I surrendered at 18 and, and really never looked back. Um, I was in Bible school six months later, uh, three months later, a year later, Ann and I were married. And Was that Elam? Was that, that was Elam. Okay, yeah. Yep, that was Elam. So we went to Elam Bible Institute in college. Mm. And um, yeah, so that's, that's really how he got a hold of me. And now you're blessed. You're living in Maryland. So we live north of Baltimore in Bel Air, Maryland. And uh, like I said, Anna and I now, we got married very young. Uh, I'll be turning 40 this year, but we're also celebrating our 20th anniversary. And our two boys, uh, Judah is 15. Uh, Jesse is 13. And they could not be more different. You know, Jesse wants to be a professional baseball player. Judah wants to take over NASA. And uh, they just, uh, they just might do it. But I know you've been teaching a lot about dreaming with God, so that's going to fit in very well. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Wow. And how, how tall is Judah now? Judah's about almost 5'11", so he's the tallest in the family. He tried to pick me up in the kitchen the other day. I said, listen, that's not happening. <laughs> You're not picking your old man up just yet. <laughs> oh, that, is, that is so much fun. Uh, what do you see that God is actually up to? What do you see? I mean, we have, of course, the COVID-19. Uh, even as you and I are talking, I'm sitting and waiting for my test either today. I've been tested twice this week. Uh, uh, I've had a few rounds with this thing. We just lost, uh, actually, my son-in-law just lost his mom. Uh, so my, my daughter-in-law just lost mom. And, and COVID was eventually that took the life. So it has impacted us on a personal level. And it's hit me on many levels as well as it's changing the whole world in the way I've, I've been doing things. And then the second of all, we've seen also, of course, the Black Lives Matter and the thing that happened with George and what that's spreading as well as the tension in the city. And then we're starting to see what's happening between the tension. That's, uh, there's changes going on, personally speaking, in family and government, uh, geopolitically. I mean, the whole world is changing in a way that I've never seen in my 54 years of life. So just for you, when first of all, what, what are you seeing and what are you sensing taking place in the middle of it? And how are you coping with it? Yeah. So at first, I think everyone was okay with the novelty of COVID for maybe the first week or two. And then after quarantine set in, people started losing their minds. Like, what do we do? We are trapped in this house. And I'll never forget, because um, I, I was one that didn't think it would last nearly as long. I thought, you know, by Easter, by Father's Day, we'll be back to normal. And then when those dates come and go, and then you realize you don't have things you're looking forward to on the calendar, and everything is fluid and nothing is fixed. Um, it was actually the morning after Easter when we couldn't celebrate Easter in any of our campuses and it was all virtual. I, I opened my Bible and the Lord took me to Ezekiel three. Hmm. And in that passage, God says to Ezekiel, come, come down to the valley and my spirit will meet you there. We love to meet on the mountaintop. Papa Leif, you're the one that taught me, you know, we want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop. But God builds valleys, man builds bridges. And God said to Ezekiel, my spirit will meet you in the valley and I will speak with you. And then the next part struck me. He said, and then I will have you go into your house 
and shut yourself in. And I will continue to speak to you. And then when you are to come out of your house, I will tell you what to speak to the leaders. And that was just a word for me out of Ezekiel 3 that, um, you know, this feels like a valley, but many times God will speak to us and meet us in the valley. And then he said to Ezekiel, go shut yourself into your home. Mm-hmm. Times of solitude can be incredibly beneficial. And for me, the song from Mav City, uh, Refiner just became an anthem. I felt like God was refining so many things in my heart, refining. He slowed all of us down to have to look in the mirror and he began to pull things out of our soul and he began to just um, refine us. That's the, that's the only way I could look at quarantine is just, there was such a refining process. And the Lord said to me so clearly, he said, when you look back at 2020, your life will not be defined by a virus, but it will be refined by my voice. And I felt like the quarantine just sensitized many of us to the voice of God. Okay, God, you're up to something. From heaven's perspective, we know you're doing something. So if you're slowing us all down, then refine us. Because I believe when the doors begin to open and when we begin to come out of our homes, there is going to be a global revival that we need to be refreshed and ready um, and rested for. So I would say some practical ways even for the people are listening, because uh, uh, what I'm hearing consistently of pieces, people, even while they are in their homes and they're they're trying to be still to know that he is God. But in the middle of there seems to be so much noise, especially with some of the chaos if people watch the news and everything else. So there's to some degree people wants to be involved, but it seems like it's a loose, loose situation no matter which direction people are going. So in the middle of all of that, this tension is going on. And then in this season, God is whispering. He's not speaking very loudly. So people have to be still. So is there any practical things that you do to be able to, uh, like for myself, I put 15 minutes of news a night and I do 15 minutes reading just the highlights in the morning. So I kind of schedule 30 minutes to be informed what's going on. Then I shut the world up and then focusing on what God is doing and saying. And But do you have anything that you do in... You know, I think that's, it's so wise. I, I, I've been saying, and, and a friend of mine said to me, he said, Josh, you need to check in on the news, but watch the word. Hmm. And that was a word for me, yeah. you know, check in on the news and watch the word. You know, Ann and I, we ran away for, uh, as soon as some flights began to open, we went to Montana just for a week in the mountains. And it was incredible. And when you spend time in the mountains and there's nothing, I mean, we were totally in isolation off the grid just staring at these beautiful snow-capped mountains. And uh, the Lord took me to Genesis 4 and the story of Cain and Abel, the first family. And it's interesting because Eve said, the Lord has, with the Lord's help, I have produced a son. And I named him Cain. But she know, she acknowledged it was with the Lord's help that she produced a son. And the, the name Cain means to either produce or to acquire, basically. Mm-hmm. To produce it or to grab something. And I believe within Nate, within his nature, he had the ability to do both. He could produce or he could take. And it's interesting when you go back and read that story, how God saw what was going in Cain's heart. And I believe there's so many parallels to what we're seeing in culture right now, because God saw and said to Cain, he asked him, well, Cain, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? And of course, he knew the answer. He just wanted Cain to acknowledge it. Mm. Cain was jealous of his brother, and he thought that God and the system of life and the system that God had created was out to get him. And then he said this. He said, not only why are you so angry, he said, why is your face downcast? Why are you looking at yourself like a victim? Hmm. 
And he said, he said, Cain, you need to address these things in your heart because sin is crouching at your door and it's going to try to master you, but you must overcome it. And um, of course, Cain did not heed the voice of God and it turned to violence against his brother. Hmm. And I think right now, one of the things we're seeing is there is so much anger. Uh, there is so much victim thinking. Um, people are saying, who is my brother? And, you know, and we're saying, listen, just because that hasn't been your experience, that's your brother. You need to weep with those that weep. You need to to mourn, but you also need to not give in to the spirit of Cain. Mm-hmm. Because I believe the enemy would try to get in. And this generation's heart for justice is so strong. Mm-hmm. And it's so um, incredibly strong for justice. But I believe the enemy is trying to misguide it. Um, he's trying to tweak the nature of God that's in a generation and saying, you know, and point it in the wrong direction. I believe the spirit of Cain, where that anger and that victim thinking um, can creep in is so um, counterproductive in, in, in the kingdom. And I would say one other thing, when I was reading through Acts 19 and the revival that took place in Ephesus, Ephesus yeah. um, it's really interesting when those riots began to break out and those mobs begin to break out because the the wealthy leader, Demetrius, was the silversmith. Mm. And he said to the people, I have a worthy cause for you to be angry about. Um, really, the truth was he was he wanted to stay in control and he wanted to keep his money and his power. But he didn't say that to them. He said, um, the goddess, uh, the, the goddess is being um, demeaned by this revival. And so I'm going to give you a worthy cause to be upset about Artemis is being you know defamed. And it says that uh, in that passage that they began to riot and they all showed up in the marketplace and they all showed up in the arena. And it multiple times lists that there was so much confusion among the crowd that some were chanting this and some were chanting that. And it says in the scriptures that many of them didn't even know why they were there. They were caught up in this anger um, because they agreed to a cause that a lot of the people in the city couldn't fight against. It was a worthy cause in their culture. Um, And then the governor gets up and says, hey, listen, the courts are open. There is a system of justice. Uh, if you got something wrong with Paul and these guys, let's handle it the right way. And I, I just believe, regardless of where someone is on the political lines, to me, the spiritual in the kingdom is so much higher than anything political. But it's sad to see the enemy trying to stir up a value for justice within a generation and point it in the wrong direction. And to see leaders um, in media or in different ways trying to misguide people. Uh, with such a worthy value like Black Lives Matter, who who? It's such a brilliant uh, marketing slogan because who can refute it? I don't know anybody except for maybe one percent that are uh, against that value. And so, uh, me as an anti-racist, of course, Black Lives Matters. You know my inner circle of friends, and we look like the United Nations. <laughs> my spiritual father's African American. That's what I was going to say. You have a Pakistani twin brother. Yeah. And you have a papa yeah. that is. I actually I called Eric your spiritual father in the middle of it, and uh, and I called quite a few of my African American brothers and family, and, and and I called Eric, and Eric said Papa Leif, and I asked, tell me this story, and and again I wanted to hear his story, and Eric's is a little bit different than some, but because I have learned also, even if you can just get to know the story of someone you will find something you can love. But the biggest yes. reason I wanted, I, I didn't know how it feels for them because I didn't know the journey. Because for me, again, being a Norwegian, 
but I wanted to identify with them and their journey so that I could have empathy and actually to be able to understand a little bit more what's going on. So it took me a, a day where I called and set up appointments with, including my son-in-law is African-American. So as a result of that, that helped me a lot just to be able to listen to their stories like uh, uh, people just hear that has been stopped in my little beautiful community 12 times and I've not been stopped once for no reason and those kind of things. And it just helped me then to understand why. And I even, as, as, as you may be familiar with, I was out in the streets and one day marching with, because it was after the George Floyd and I did want to make a stand. So at that moment I was marching. And then another time I, I the, the next week I had from Atlanta cops in my home. And so in a sense that my neighbor, I have a Hindu neighbor right on the left side where I live. I have a Buddhist two houses down, we have Muslim, and just in my neighborhood, and I love my neighbors, and this has became so important for me, including should I wear a mask or not mask, who is my neighbor, and what is yes. and I love my neighbor, and that, that has become very important. I am interested to talk a little bit about, because I feel that you have, uh, I know you have a book out, because I endorsed that, and I got a copy of it, and uh, and I had the opportunity to read it before it is available. But you wrote a book, and tell me a little bit about that book, why you wrote it, what is it all about, because I think it is, first of all, it is something that you are carrying, something you become. It's not just a message that you are writing about. It's a message that you have become, that you can release and impart to people. So tell us a little bit about overcome, because this is sure. a word for the season. Sure. And one thing I will say, um, as as we segue to overcome right now, Leif, you hit it with loving your neighbor. And I'll just say one, thank you for modeling in such a way where when people draw a circle that excludes you, you just draw a bigger circle that includes them. Mm-hmm. And people change because of ideas and stories and meeting people. And I just believe that there is going to be such a unified uh, revival coming out of all the turbulence that we're seeing happen right now. Um, I am very optimistic, even though, um, you know, there's a lot happening, <laughs> even though there's a lot of commotion and there's a lot of voices, um, overcome, you know, I originally wasn't going to write the book. I did a teaching series on the premise that grace is more powerful than sin. Many times we glorify sin as this big Goliath, this big giant and sin is a formidable foe, but grace is more powerful than sin. And I did a teaching series and a man who had been married at the time for 48 years was walking through a very difficult time and he and his wife separated. And he said to me, the content in overcome has helped me rebuild my marriage. Wow. And he, and he challenged me. He said, why would you not turn this into a book so that more people could get this message and really kind of rebuked me. And then your friend, Bob Hazlett, uh, <laughs> shortly after that, two months later came and gave me a prophetic word that God wanted me to, to do that. And so I, I kind of reluctantly did because I said, you know, I have a number of books in me. I just didn't think this would be one of the first ones to come out. And then of course, all the, the, the carnal image things you're thinking, what are people going to think about me if I'm talking about sexuality and overcoming addiction? And, you know, I, I don't want to be known as some pervert or so, you know, but the truth was, I had to say that there no doubt was shame that I had to overcome Mm. from decisions I had made young as a young man, um, uh, promiscuous in my sexuality and and looking for affirmation in the wrong places. 
And then when the love of God came and the wisdom of God came and I began to appropriate um, not just a touch, not just a prayer, not just an experience, but actually understanding the power of biblical doctrine to sustain victory. Hmm. Um, I realize people need an encounter and they need an explanation because many times if they have just an encounter, but they don't truly understand what has happened to them, the victory isn't always as sustained. And so I wanted to anchor what I was saying and overcome back to scripture. Yeah, let me just, uh, because I have two close friends that are part of Alcoholic Anonymous. And I thought about it there where they've had an encounter in a sense, because that's what, if you're familiar with the 12 steps, the first one is just recognizing you have a giant bigger than himself that I need to overcome. And then the second, I'll realize there's a power greater than itself. So now they start to pursue. And then it's eventually to surrender to that power. It's kind of these step by step. But even as you were sharing that, I just realized for, for over a million and a half people, I was totally hopeless. I mean, they're destroying the life, million and a half lives that is out there. Yes, there's the God equation, where's the encounter, which is totally connected to the first three steps. But then it is also connected to walking through these steps. And they do that the rest of their life, learning principle to live this freedom out. And that's a daily thing they're doing. That is not fear-based. It is love-based. It's now living this out. So I think they're the same thing. They have overcome. And if they are on the healthy side of the AA, like my two friends are, it's not a fear-based, but a love-based. They are they're not... They're not going to AA, so they are not going to drink. That is not to, to why in that sense, because God took the drink. Now they're just learning how to walk in that new freedom, and they continue that the rest of their life to walk in that freedom. And that's a daily thing that they're doing themselves, but also doing in community with other people. And then they're helping other people to be free. And it's very similar to what you are sharing here, but I just thought about those two friends. Yeah, and you instilled in me a decade ago, there always is a battle that you fight after the battle you win. I even that's, saw one of the chapters. I that's the final chapter of the book. That's the yeah. final chapter of the book. I love it. Here are some battles that you're going to have to fight as you, you know, step out in victory. Hmm. Have you heard any testimonies after you share after the book came out? Or well, that one couple that inspired me, they I got to be a part of their vow renewal service, and um, they've now been married for 50 years. They hit that big milestone. They, um, I, I put an acknowledgement and a dedication to them. Sent them a copy. And there have been uh, people in AA. Uh, there have been people coming out of jail trying to rebuild their lives. There's been people just with a uh, secret addiction to pornography that they needed to get free from the shame and allow community to come around them. And so, you know, it's um, it's humbling. It's really humbling because I by no means consider myself an expert at all. I never would have thought that, you know, this was going to be what I was going to be writing about. But when God says, hey, you have something I've given you, I want you to give it away, um, what, do you, what do you say? Yeah, I'm interested in chapter eight, and you're kind of connecting wisdom. And, uh, and it's part of one of the things when I describe you to friends, it's about one of your special sauce that I watched this. I mean, and you're just so wise for your age. That's my observation. I'm a few years older than you, but, but for the age, I'm just kind of blown away. But there you talk about more wisdom of not just overcoming sin, but also wisdom to, 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 to live a overcome a lifestyle. So how do you see wisdom and what are some of the wise choices people can do? And how can they even partner with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the middle of that? That's uh, Yeah. So um, wisdom is fascinating to me because scripture says it's the principal thing, the preeminent thing, the thing that is first in rank. 
And while people are chasing money and different things, it says, listen, wisdom is actually above all of that. Um, and wisdom is calling out to everybody, right? In the streets, the marketplace, the leaders at the city gate, everyone, the taverns, it's talking to everyone. Um, and I remember when I was a kid, Leif, uh, being one of six kids, my siblings would sometimes hold things behind their back. And they would say, if you can pick the right hand, I'll give you what's in my hand. And, you know, you'd pick the right hand and they would move it behind their back to the left. They'd say, sorry, I got nothing for you. But Proverbs 3 says that wisdom, lady wisdom, has in her two hands. In her left hand, she has long life. And in her right hand, she has riches and honor. So whatever hand you pick, wisdom has something to give you that no one else can give you. And to know that it's one of the aspects of the Spirit of God, I think wisdom teaches you when you're in a struggle that there always is a solution to the problem you're facing. Mm. I think if you live with that mindset, when the coronavirus broke out, John Maxwell was in Israel doing a trip with some of my friends, and he didn't know anything about what was going on because they were very isolated on this trip. But he just said this, he said, because I'm convinced there is a cure, people will be looking for it. He didn't even know any of the science. He, did, he said, because I live with the awareness that there's always a solution to whatever problem we face. The kingdom of heaven always has answers. And I think when you tap into the wisdom of God, he shows you to not be overly impressed with the enemy, to not be overly impressed with your failures um, or your performance, but to become impressed with the wisdom of God that he can show you how to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. That, that is wisdom. And so I think I just put a few things in the book saying um, God will sometimes deliver wisdom to you in, an, in the package of another person. So you have to humble yourself and not try to do it on your own. Um, again, scripture, it, it's right there in scripture. The, the wisdom of God is in the word of God. And um, I, I just think he can help us navigate. Paul said, we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. We can know how he attacks us and we can be, you know, prepared for those things. And so I think wisdom plays a tremendous, tremendous role. I'm, I'm also interested in another topic. And to some degree, it's, it's covered both in your book, but to some degree, it's maybe a little outside. Uh, I'm meeting now a whole generation that I feel a calling to reach out to, to some degree, or uh, they're a little bit disappointed with church. And I know you're part of a church that are growing and there's certain movement. And then we are seeing some churches that, I mean, they're large and incredible sizes and have a lot of people there. But the temperature of the city is not necessarily changing. In a sense, the light and the salt is not affecting society. But I'm just, uh, if, if you were even, because some have children that are that age, other ones is, but how do we actually, what do you think is some tools or wisdom in regard to reaching out to the next generation and to be able to help them to find their identity? And also even some of the messages I think that's been helpful for you and I has been that we didn't want Jesus just as a savior, but also as a Lord. So it is an element of the Lordship. So there's this, we've sold us a cheap gospel to the people that I don't think the young people say it's not working. I'm actually giving up on that because you said, if I just buy that Jesus ticket and I'm going to go, that all these good things is going to happen and some of these opposites. So as soon as there's a win against us, people are running away from that. Jesus is a, hey, I ran or run somewhere else. And I think that both of us at least have had a lot of areas where we had to overcome. I have more scars on my body, more journeys as I've gone into the Middle East and taken up that cross and follow him. But in the middle of all of that is when I have found my purpose, I found my passion, I found both my why and my way. Uh, so 
I, I just know that you're very wise here. Even how do we how do we help people, especially in the middle of this, to be able to to, to follow Jesus, to be authentic follower of Jesus, and find totally freedom by giving it all is actually when you find all the freedom. That's right. You know, I would say, um, wow. Uh, I think one thing for parents or for educators, for pastors and leaders, when we clothe ourselves in humility. Hmm. Um, Gen Z is very different than the millennial generation, and they are going to surpass in size, in scope. Every generation is beautiful. What Psalm 145, David said, one generation will commend another generation to the Lord, right? We need the generations to even see the nature of God because we carry a different reflection of God's nature. Um, but one of the things I've been working with a lot of leaders on is we have to learn from the younger generations and not just teach them. Of course, we need to teach them. But there are many cultural things going on with Gen Z that historians are saying we will actually look more like them than they will look like us hmm. because of the amount of rapid change. They've never grown up without an iPhone. Hmm. Uh, forget cell phone. They've never not had a smartphone. Um, the things that they are, they're entrepreneurial by nature. Um, they have access to all this information, but here's the thing. This is why they need us. You can't Google wisdom. You can Google information. You can get information and answers at your fingertips, but they don't know how to interpret the information. But many leaders, we have to learn how to make the relational investment so that they care about the filter of our interpretation. You have to be, um, you have to be invited in because their lives are so curated as you, you know talk, from our you good talk friend, like the Papa, right now as a as a spiritual <laughs> father. That you know, our good friend Steve Robertson is an expert, really, in Gen Z and Dr. Tim Elmore, these people. But I'm raising two Gen Zs, so I'm I need all the help I can get. Yeah. I think I think love makes you so relevant. Um, you have to come to those moments and those conversations where you are trying to find out what the Holy Spirit is already saying to them. So you can align with the intrinsic government of the Holy Spirit, the intrinsic power versus external pressure. They will run from external pressure if it's your plan or your system, and there's no sense of personal ownership. Uh, they're going to bucket, mm -hmm. and I think we have to be wise. You know, Paul said, "I become all things to all men that I might win some." Why would we not do that with the generations and learn how they learn and learn how they speak? It's not watering things down. In fact, I think when they understand it in their way, they will surrender to lordship uh, and not just a ticket to heaven. Because we know that true discipleship means you've got to lay down everything. So um, I think clothing ourselves with humility. I think asking questions more than just assuming mm -hmm. that we have all the answers. Because we have answers we know that they need. But they have questions that we're not exactly sure how to slow down and humble ourselves so that they can ask them. And I think it's a two-sided thing. And I think honor obviously is a two-way street. And mm -hmm. so when we clothe ourselves in humility and we choose uh, to honor rather than judge, um, it's hard for anybody to feel like they want to open up if they feel tolerated and not celebrated. Mm -hmm. And so I think what is the gold in this generation that you can see and you can speak to that will begin to open their hearts up um, and, and they'll realize, you know what we need, we can't Google wisdom. We can Google information, but we need to draw wisdom from your life and your experience and your history with God. Yeah. I, I had one young Gen Z that was just saying that, uh, uh, 
I love the way that you love without a hook. And I learned that in the Muslim world when God shifted me because for so long I had a hook in there. I loved them so that ABC. I loved them so that I could get favor. I loved them so that I could get the gospel. So there was the hook. And when God dealt with me to show me where there was hook in my life and I got rid of those hooks and just started to love because that's what I've received. I unconditional love and I started to love people with unconditional love. Suddenly I started to see those barriers going down and honor is what love looks like. And so when you then start to get that wow effect about who they are instead of who they are not. And that's just also been very important for me in this season when I see him. And, and uh, so I'm, uh, I'm very, very excited about that generation. And God is actually calling me in this season. That was part of the reason I was going to have Steve Robertson. Also, he was supposed to be here in March and hang out together for a few days. And we're going to do it. But also I'm bringing in some of the best people to help me to be able to to speak the language I love in such a way that the blind eyes can see it and the deaf ears can hear it. And so, uh, so I'm a little excited about it. And I also have one that is Gen Z at home and the rest of them are more millennials. And so, uh, so but I, I think we have to Leif, right? As, as papas, as spiritual fathers, we have to be excited about the next generations. Um, you know, I was taught that the greatest thing you do in life is not something that you do, but someone that you raise. Yeah. So it's not even about my contribution. What is it going to look like after we're in heaven? Can we set something in motion that will bear fruit until Jesus brings his kingdom in its fullness on earth? And as we were moving from New York to come to Maryland, a friend gave me a prophetic gift. In fact, I have it back there in, in one of my bookcases, and it's a, it's a hockey jersey. And I'm not even a big hockey fan, so I didn't know where he was going with this. But he said, I feel like God gave me a word for you. And Gordie Howe uh, in hockey was named Mr. Hockey. He, for 25 years, played for the Detroit Red Wings. He um, broke all the records for games played. He was just a man's man. He was an incredible hockey player. He was going to retire and go into the Hall of Fame. Well, his two sons, Mark and Marty, both got drafted by the Hartford Whalers. They're not even a team anymore. But when I was growing up, the Hartford Whalers were a team. And so at 51 years old, Gordie Howe came out of retirement and decided to play for the Hartford Whalers with his boys. So now he's 51 years old, you know what I mean? Missing some teeth. Everybody's got a helmet on. He's, he's the old crazy guy, doesn't even wear a helmet. You know, he's tough as nails. Not only did he come out of retirement, but he made the all-star team. Mm. And so did his two sons. He said the greatest moment in my life was not all my personal trophies, not all my championships. He said, the greatest moment in my life was being on the ice with one boy on one side and one boy on the other side together serving on the all-star team. And my friend gave me a Harford Whalers Gordie Howe jersey. He said, this is the most sought after jersey uh, in, in really hockey history. Um, and he said, I really believe God wants you to know that even in your latter years, you will serve at a high level with your sons and with the next generation by your side. Wow. And so for me, it's a mandate for me. It's a heart thing. Um, you know, of course we want them to go further, you know, deeper in. And so we have to learn their language. And like you said, love honor is the language of love. 
And it's, it's so beautiful. I do want, before we hang up here, because if there were certain things, first of all, how can people get hold of you? And we're going to make sure, because I, I do want people to get overcome. And I know a lot of bookstores are closed and there's a lot of different ways, but how can people get that? Do, is it audible yet? Sure. So, uh, yes, yeah, so we have the uh, audible version. They can go to Amazon. It's available on Amazon. They can get it in, in Kindle. Um, they can get it in paperback. Uh, they can also go to readovercome.com. And that's a website we put up just for the book. And it has some testimonies and some videos and some free uh, extras where I talk about a few of the chapters. But um, And then my personal website is just joshuafinley.org. Hmm. Yeah, I just want to encourage anyone in our family, as you probably have figured by now that uh, Josh has a lot to be able to give all of us. And he's added so much value to, to us. And uh, so even uh, I encourage you to get a book, but even more important, just connect with him and starts to be able to lean your hearts in honor because this is so important. What we honor is also what we have access. You honor a prophet and a prophet's name, suddenly you grow prophetically. And I think it's been one of the gifts that I have is when you start to honor somebody, recognizing the special oil that God has placed on their life, suddenly it's not that I can buy that oil from them, but suddenly God gives us graces in our own life where we get upgrades uh, in some of those areas ourselves. And Josh, I, I do want to finish. I want you to pray for us because I do think, I think a lot of us, we need we need a grace to enjoy, but also the grace to endure. But we also need the grace to overcome in this season. And especially, Amen. I do believe that this is a season, including my life, you, you shared some, but there are some areas that I have struggled with that I've experienced some tremendous freedom in this season. So I've had a, I mean, because of COVID-19, and I could write a book just about all the reason I'm grateful for what this has done in my life. I've lost a lot. It's been very painful. It's very difficult. It's the best and worst of all days. But in the middle of it, I'm so full of gratitude because he got to do deep work in my life and experience your throw over just get rid of anything that is not needed for the next season. And it's such a beautiful freedom when we are there. So I feel that your book and who you are can add so much value to so many different people. So if you wouldn't mind just to release a fresh impartation to all of us. <laughs> sure, I'd be glad to. Father, thank you. Thank you for this kingdom family. Mm. Thank you for the truth that where the serpent tries to bite us actually does become the place of our greatest anointing. Thank you for showing us, us that in Leif's life. Thank you for making that a reality in each of our lives. For those that watch and listen to this, uh, God, I thank you that we live under the smile of heaven, that that reality and that grace makes us courageous to usher in your kingdom. Thank you for the refining that you are doing. God, our lives will not be defined by just this virus, but the voice of God re refining us, bringing shalom where there has been anxiety. Uh, we ask for uncommon wisdom. Mm -hmm. God, give us the wisdom of Solomon that when, when we are in complex situations where it seems like if I go to the right or I go to the left, I, I lose either way. God, I pray that you would show us the third option. Show us another solution. Show us from heaven's perspective what uncommon wisdom looks like as we love people. Um, God, thank you that what we're facing right now truly is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. So we ask for grace. We ask for revelation. We ask for solutions, not just for our churches and for our families and businesses, but God, for transformation for society, transformation for the regions that we are in. God, thank you that 
your grace is so much more powerful, so much more dominating than sin that we will be able to overcome. So for God, those that are trapped, those that are trying to outrun their past or being swallowed up by shame, thank you, Holy Spirit, for the next step, the clear next step that you are guiding them into that will bring incredible freedom. And we just pray that for the whole family in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And thank you so much, Josh, just for adding so much value to each one of us. And I'm excited about hearing stories from people. And I want you to do that. Well, connect with Josh to share testimony, what God is doing in your season as you are becoming an overcomer and can help other people to overcome. So bless every single one of you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. <laughs>